Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. And the reality of Abraham and Sarah's faith was that if God is faithful, then I can be full of faith in him. I can trust him. I can anchor off to him. But the story continues in verse number 13, and I want us to read down through verse 19. We will cover only 13 through 16 today, but I want you to see just a little prelude to Easter weekend in 17, 18, and 19. Here we are, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And I want us to see these if-then statements that uh, would tie together this text. And first you see a condition, okay? And I won't belabor this because this is what the chapter is all about. It's about faith. But there's this condition in these verses that is faith. Of course, you see it in the chapter by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But you even see it in verse number 13 where it tells you at the very front end that these all died in faith. If you miss this, you miss it all. Faith, we've learned through Hebrews 11, is what can give your life substance. It can give you something substantial to stand on. Faith is how you get a good report from God how you would have the slate wiped clean or God would approve of your life. Faith is how you understand, verse 3, what reality really is. Faith is how you please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is even how you inherit righteousness. Righteousness isn't earned, it's given. It's an inheritance. But Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and even Jacob in this text, they had faith and their faith was so short, it says that they did not receive the promises. What promises? Well, the promises that Abraham had. So Abraham and Sarah did get to receive the promise that they would have a son, Isaac, even though they were past childbearing years. It was a miracle, and they received that. But the bulk of the promises that they were given, they did not receive, such as you will inherit a land. The promise that they would have descendants, and through the descendants, they would become innumerable. They would be as the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. They didn't get to see that. The promise that through their descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. They never got to see that. Sarah didn't get to see it. Isaac didn't get to see it. Jacob didn't get to see it. These all died in faith, but not having received the promises. But it says something extremely interesting. It says that they saw them afar off, and they were persuaded of them. They embraced them. Isn't that interesting? Their faith was so substantial that even though they did not receive these promises, they could see it 
in a distance. And they could almost embrace them or hug them or greet them and say, hello, promises, I know you're coming. This is the same faith that we are to have. You can make a note of Galatians 2. I don't have time to, to belabor it or read through all of it. But verses 15 and 16, Paul writes very clearly that Jew and Gentile alike, those that were super religious and super spiritual, the Jewish people who believed in God, those that were not, both of them alike, even the, the spiritual people, they came to understand that a soul is justified before God. A soul has right standing with God. The slate is wiped clean and the sins are forgiven. And you can be confident before God. How? He says, not by works of the law, not by what you do. You can be confident before God because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how. Faith is so essential. It's, it's the necessary condition for all of this passage. And if the condition of faith is met, that you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, Him exclusively, then, and only then, can a country be sure. And I want you to see not just the condition, but the country. This is mentioned all through the end of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 talks about Abraham who looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Chapter 12 will tell us, but we're come to Mount Sion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Ver chapter 13 will tell us, we have no continuing city, but we seek a city that is to come. But it said most clearly, most clearly, right here in chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, where it says in verse 13 that Abraham and Sarah were strangers and pilgrims. Pilgrims. Not nomads and not vagabonds. Those are people that wander around and just continue to wander around. A pilgrim is someone who is not planting stakes that is not settling down, but in anticipation of a place where they will settle down one day. They're pilgrims. Verse number 14, they sought a country. Verse 15, not the country that they came from. Verse 16, a better country. What kind of country? A heavenly country, one that God had prepared. Get the picture? Abraham and Sarah were pilgrims on their way to heaven. That's what it's saying. And the reason that they could be sure that they were pilgrims on their way to heaven was because of their faith. If the condition of faith is met, then you can be sure that you have a country. So let me put it very plainly. Are you a pilgrim on your way to heaven? Let me just even eliminate pilgrim because most of you have never thought of yourself as a pilgrim. Like, I'm pretty sure there's the people that like, I don't know, fought with Indians and made Thanksgiving or something. I don't think it was me. Are you on your way to heaven? Let me put it that way. Are you sure that heaven is your home? That's a fair question. Because Abraham and Sarah were sure that there was a heaven that awaited them and that they were going there. How? Faith in God. Not in themselves? No, God. God, the one who is faithful. That's how. It's the same today. Did you know that God wants you to be sure that you are going to heaven? I'm not making that up. The Bible says that. The Bible says very clearly there is a heaven and that you can go there. But the condition is faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how. Those are the only people who go to heaven. But if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't, do it today. If you have, then you should be sure. God does not want you to have a foundation of jello where you're wobbly. He doesn't want you to have a lack of confidence before him when you go to him to pray or when you face death. 
This is what 1 John says at the end of his book. It's five chapters long. At the end of chapter number five, he comes to verse 13, and he says, these are the things that I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, look, I wrote my book to believing people. I wrote these things to people that believe on Jesus, the people that have faith in Jesus. Why? That ye may know that ye have eternal life. Not doubt, not hope, not think, not wish, not pray. I'm writing unto the people that believe on Jesus because I want you to be sure. Chapter 2 of the same book said, I want you to have confidence before God when he comes. John saw a problem in his day that there were people that believed on Jesus, but they were still shaky and they were still just wondering and questioning, can I really be confident before God? Does he really, as Jamie's saying, know my name? Does he really care for me? Is he really involved? Is he really, does he really have a place for me? Am I really going to go there? And they were just shaky. They had faith, but they didn't know. And he says, I want you to be confident. I want you to know that you're going to heaven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Not 70%, I think I might. Not 80%, not 90%, not 99%. I'm sure, 100%. Man, is that, is that boastful, Pastor? Is that prideful and arrogant to say, I know I'm going to heaven? If you're counting on your own good works, yes, it's not only boastful, it's wrong. You're not making it. But if you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus and your faith is in him, it's not boastful at all. It's confidence. It's faith. It's what Abraham and Sarah had. I have faith, so I know there's a better country. I know there's a heavenly country. I know that God is not ashamed of me, that I'm his. I'm his child. He has me, and I have him. And so he's prepared this place for me. Isn't that what Jesus said when he was about to die? And his disciples were troubled. I mean, they were torn up. They were confused. They were riddled with doubts. And he says, guys, I don't want your heart to be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What's he saying? It's clear as day. There's a heaven. I'm going there. You can be with me. Heaven is described as city, country, home, place. I do not have time this morning to give you all the ins and outs of heaven. We, we, there's a lot about heaven we don't know, but there's a lot that we do know. And all I have time is just to kind of skirt the shores of the mighty ocean of truth that is heaven. But it's described as a real place a wonderful place, and a place that you can belong. This is something that all of us deep down we search for and we want and we, we deeply crave inside, a place, a home. Home is powerful. This is why Americans every year spend billions of dollars to travel back home for the holidays or for the celebration or for whatever it is because it's special to us. It's home. This is why when Adam and Eve were cursed, part of the severity of the curse was that they would be homeless. They would be cast out of the garden, out of their home, and they wouldn't have that place anymore. This is why when, when someone is, is homeless, it not only takes a toll on them physically, but it takes a tremendous toll on them for a long time, psychologically and emotionally. It's devastating. This is why children who don't grow up with a home and they bounce around from family to family or from foster unit to foster unit, oftentimes into adulthood, will have uh, severe attachment issues and, and so many different things that bubble up inside of them because they never had 
home. Home is powerful. I can remember years ago I watched this 30 for 30 documentary. I like sports, and I watched this documentary on the house that Steinbrenner built. It was a documentary on the New York Yankees building a new stadium for their baseball team. And I was shocked to learn at how many New Yorkers really petitioned against and advocated against a new stadium, even though the new stadium was going to be able to fit more people and and tickets would be supposedly cheaper and there would be better amenities and there would be better places and it would be more comfortable. All of these things, you think, why would you not want that? Because that was home to them. They were used to that stadium. Even though it wasn't the best ever, they wanted it, and they had memories, and there was sentiment attached to those seats, that section, those gates, that entryway, and they didn't want a new one. They wanted something that was special, that was what they've always had, even though the next one could have been better. I understand even in this capital campaign, I'm not naive enough uh, to miss the reality that some of you would say, you know what, okay, I can get excited, I understand that a new auditorium or some of these things would, would be better in certain ways, but I started coming to church here, and I, I remember my first Sunday in, in this room, even though it's a gym and there's goals above my head, and the acoustics aren't the best, and the air conditioning is these two big plastic pipes that, you know, breathe down on me kind of sporadically, and the temperature's never right, but it's still, it feels like home to me. I got saved in this room. I was baptized right there. And I understand that there can be sentiment and, and, and heart. And that's a good thing. I like that. It's the power of home. It's the power of a place, right? And Jesus says, I have a place. Abraham and Sarah said, we don't have, we don't have a place to call home. We're, we're traveling around, but we're looking forward to the place we'll call home. We're looking forward to the country. We're looking forward to the city where we can finally be at home. Don't we want this? It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be special. It doesn't have to be opulent even. And I'm glad there's mansions in heaven. But even today in this life, you long for a place that's just home. A place where when you walk in the door, the people that are there are warm and friendly and they welcome you and they love you and they greet you. The warmth of the light of the fireplace spills into your eyes and the smell of dinner is in the air and you have your chair that you can sink into and you can just, it's your place, right? Those are special to us. Heaven will be the best place you've ever had. If you think home is home now, wait till you're there. Heaven is a place where we get to be together. It is a family reunion of sorts. Jesus said that where I am, ye, plural, may be also. And we certainly look forward to the day where those, those loved ones and saints that have gone before us that had their faith in Jesus, that we can be together and have that reunion. But heaven is a place where Jesus is. I struggle to even find words to try to describe it. A place where he is. I reread this week an old classic sermon by Jonathan Edwards called Heaven, A Place of Love. In that sermon, Edwards goes to great lengths to describe biblically how God is the fountainhead of all love and all joy. And any love or joy that we would experience in this life as good as it may be, even at its zenith when maybe the, the kid is so cute and so fun or our, 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 on our wedding day our, our heart bursts with love for our spouse even at its zenith that that love is downstream from the source and is muddied and even the best days of joy and love in our lives today can't hold a candle it's a whisper 
of what will be in heaven when you're with the fountainhead of all love and all joy. It will be so pervasive and so powerful that we just can't even explain it. Jesus said something along those lines in John chapter number 17 when he prayed to the Father and he said, Father, I will that they also, the believers whom you've given me, that they will be with me where I am, that they'll be in heaven with me, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I don't know if you understand the weight of what Jesus just said. He said, my followers, they're going to be with me. And when they're with me, they will see me in all of my glory. They will understand the love exchange that has been between the Father and the Son from eternity past, before the foundations of the world. They will, they will understand that love exchange in a way that they never could while they were on earth. They will see my glory. You understand, beholding the glory of God is something that we, we really can't do right now. A, tish, a Kleenex stands a better chance of reaching the surface of the sun without combusting than you do of seeing the glory of God in its, in its, in its raw glory and you not just being vaporized. <laughs> it's something that God said, like, you, you can't really, like, as you are right now, you can't really look on my face. This is why Moses, when he just got, like, a peak, just a, just a little bitty, bitty, bitty peak, he was radiant and he glue, for, or glue, he was glowing. He didn't have glue all over him. He was glowing from beholding just a little peak of the glory of God. And Jesus says, you will be on, on that day when you're with me, when you're in heaven, you'll be on ground zero of glory. Like the glory forge will be right there and you will get to see it all. John says in, in his epistle that this experience is so powerful and so amazing and it, it's so changing in our lives that even for us right now to think about it, it will change us and purify us. I'm talking about heaven. Like, I, I can't describe it. And Abraham and Sarah knew this. They said they, they knew, if I have put my faith in God, he has a home for me. He has heaven. But listen, it doesn't stop there. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you can be sure that heaven is your home. And if you are sure that heaven is your home, then there should be a confession. If that's the case, and it should be, then there's a confession. Look at verse number 13. They confessed that they were strangers and they were pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for they that say such things, they declare plainly that they seek a country. It's almost as if you could picture Abraham and Sarah sitting down and pinning the words to that poem that then became uh, a hymn and a song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I just don't feel at home in this world anymore. I've, I'm not against you proudly being an American at all, at all. But if your citizenship is here first and heaven second, that's messed up. It's messed up. Our citizenship is in heaven. We never count on where we reside today in this earth being the place that is going to provide for us and give us what we need. We look forward and say, I'm a pilgrim. I'm just, I'm going through here and I'm headed to a country that is a better country. No matter how good a country is on this earth, there is a better country, a heavenly one that God's prepared that we look forward to and we yearn and we confess. Now, last statement. 
If you put faith in Jesus, you should be sure that heaven is your home. And if you are sure that heaven is your home, then this earth is not your home. You should be able to confess that you're a pilgrim. And if you are able to confess that you're a pilgrim, then you should be able to adopt a non-compete clause. And look, you may have read right by it. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse number uh, 14. For that it say such things, declare plainly that they seek a country. In 15, here it is. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. And that would have been bad. Because God told them to get out of that country and to go to a new one that he would give them in their, in their descendants one day. So if they had their mind and their desires and their focus on where they came from, the old life, the ways of the past, they might have been tempted to go back there and to not live a life of faith in God. But that didn't happen. How did they do that? Verse 16, now they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, wherefore God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Get the point? If I'm sure of my faith, I should be sure of heaven. If I'm sure of heaven, I should be a pilgrim on this earth. And if I'm a pilgrim on this earth, then I should be able to say this earth in its grip has suddenly begun to loosen and the things of earth do not possess me in the same way that they used to. And Abraham and Sarah were able to move forward in faith, were able to follow God even though they didn't receive the promises and they didn't move backwards to comfort and control and what would have tempted them. They didn't take that bait. How? They desired a better country. They said, I am not going to allow this earth to compete for my allegiance. I will keep my desires where they need to be. This is what the Puritans of old called the expulsive power of a new affection. And the principle is this. If you want to squash your wrong desires and not have them tempt you, you need a new good desire to put in its place. And here's how it goes. And many of you, you've, you've lived this out. You get sick and tired of whatever that sin is. You reach a day where you say, you know what, today, I not only don't want it, I hate it. I despise it. I don't, there is no satisfaction in that bottle. There's no satisfaction in that substance. That fling and that relationship is not delivering like it used to. I, I do not get the, the energy or fulfillment that I used to get from buying, 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 or from climbing the ladder for whatever it is that I'm pursuing. And I, and I feel like I'm empty. I drink, I'm drinking salt water. Like it, it comes in, but I'm thirstier when it's all said and done. And almost every single one of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you come today where you say, I'm, I'm just sick of it. It's a fool's errand. Why am I pursuing this? And you don't even have the desire that day. And you say, I'm done with it. I'm kicking it to the curb. It's over. I'm turning the chapter. And you're good for like a week. Because in a week, maybe a month, that desire is like a weed. You mowed that weed down, it looked real good, but all of a sudden that weed creeps right back up. And before you know it, what you hated and you despised and you didn't want to run to, you hated yourself for doing it and doing it and falling back into it. Now you're right back there. And all of a sudden the desire has a hold of you again. Now there's maybe a lot of problems for that scenario, but one of the biggest fixes to that problem, that scenario, is to actually have a new desire in its place. To take the old desire and just say, I'm executing you, the end rarely works. 
You have to have the expulsive power of a new affection. Abraham and Sarah got this. They said that old country, that old way of life, the way things used to be, it would be a little tempting. But it's not. Why? Verse 16, they desired a better country. They were able to put something that was right and pure and good in its place, and they pursued that. And if you pursue the right desires, the wrong desires will take care of themselves. If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, get your act together, get all clean, and then you can go walk in the Spirit. No, you pursue the right thing first, and the negative will take care of itself. How practical is that? That means, and I'm almost done, I have like two minutes. Don't quote me on that, but roughly. That means, I promised you that it wasn't going to, 30 minutes was a miracle, I promise you. So I'm good on my word there. What that means is that heaven to Abraham and Sarah, it was more than pie in the sky when you die. It was more than a theological concept. It was more than verses to study so that I can just have some knowledge of what will be, and that's cool. It affected their day-to-day living. It affected the choices they made. It affected where they went. It affected how they lived. It affected who they were. And this world will come at you with all kinds of stuff, namely the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It'll come at you and it'll say, you need lust of the flesh, you need to do this. You need to do it. You need to do it. Lust of the eyes, you need to have that. You need to have that and that. Our culture is great at this. You need to have that. You have to have that and that and that, and you have to have it. Upgrade. Get that. The pride of life, you need to be. They need to think of you that way. You need to be up on a pedestal. You need Heaven can allow you, the reality of heaven, a better country, can allow you to take that grip and say, Mm-mm, I, don't need to, I don't need to do that. And I don't need to have that. I don't need to be that. I already have heaven. I'm a Christian. I want to live for him. Why, why do I need you to think so highly of me and try to impress you and spend all my money and be sucked into this vortex? God is not ashamed to be called my God. The king of the universe puts a stamp of approval on me. Why do I need your approval, right? It allows you to live and to face life, and not just face life, but to face down life. And say, bring it on. World, you you don't have me in a leash dragging me around anymore. I'm taking myself off that leash. I'm living as a pilgrim. I'm living for heaven. If you know Jesus, then heaven's your home. It's a sure thing. And if it's a sure thing, you're a pilgrim. And if you're a pilgrim, you should be able to say, this world doesn't compete for my affections anymore. They're all on Jesus. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. 
If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.